The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. It is uh, very good uh, to be here on this Friday. Good to see such a good crowd of prospective students and family and friends here to visit Cairn. Uh, great to see so many of uh, you students have recovered from uh, the homecoming weekend. Hope you had a good week. It's uh, uh, just thinking about how deep into the semester we already are and not long from now we'll have the fall break. So hang in there, keep plugging away. We're praying for you every day. This morning I want to begin uh, this series that I had planned for this fall uh, in the Convocation Chapel. We began looking at this idea that uh, we walk a different path as we often talk about at Cairn University, but uh, it's not just any path. And uh, the series for the fall is in some ways tied to that. The sort of the, the issues that are uh, germane to the Christian calling and the Christian life to live out the Christian faith uh, every day, regardless of our context or our circumstances, that we uh, remain true to our calling as Christians, remain true to the, the gospel at work in us, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called, worthy of the Lord, worthy of his gospel, uh, and all of those exhortations from Scripture. But this summer, I was reflecting upon uh, what to do for the fall series and landed on this series, uh, which I'm going to entitle for the time that I have with you in the weeks remaining this fall, no matter what, what Christians do regardless of context or circumstances. I've been thinking on this issue for quite a while that what it means for us as Christians is regardless of our circumstances, our personal circumstances or the cultural, social, political circumstances, regardless of the context in which we live, how amenable it is to Christian thinking and Christian uh, beliefs or how opposed it is to it, regardless of all of that, we do what Christians have done from the very beginning. We keep going. We keep going in our faith in Jesus Christ, in our belief in the promises of God, in our work of proclaiming and living out the gospel. We keep going no matter what. But this summer, I was struck by a couple of conversations that I had with people that I think uh, is, are worth reflecting upon. I really am concerned about the state of things right now. You don't have to go very far or talk to very many people who are involved in church work that will tell us that we haven't quite recovered from COVID. We still have people not, not re-engaging in corporate worship, not re-engaging in their place in the local body. We have people who, who are, are struggling with what it means to sort of live in Christian community after so long of being isolated by the context and the circumstances of that pandemic. We have people who are reeling from political, social, and cultural tensions and turmoil, conflicts and divisions, disagreements with people they love, and it's causing some to question whether or not they want to be a part of this community of Christians. They're embarrassed by what some of other Christians have said or done, or they're concerned about those that have walked away from their faith. But if you read through the pages of the Bible, what you see is what God expects of his people is an unwavering, unswerving, unrelenting faith in him as the living God, the creator and sustainer of all things, who has made a way for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, who has given us his Holy Spirit, which indwells us, that we might not falter, but keep on going. And so I want to encourage you this semester to think about that. No matter what, there are certain things we do as Christians regardless of our context or circumstances. Some of these will be extremely practical. We pray no matter what. 
<laughs> no matter what. We pray no matter what because God wants us to communicate with him. And we're told to pray without ceasing. And even when we don't feel like praying, we pray. We, we worship whether we feel like it or not. In fact, the university's verse that I shared with you last week from Lamentations is the prophet in the midst of despair stops himself and proclaims the great steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. No matter what, we, we exercise those disciplines by God's grace to stay the course, to worship, to pray, to fellowship. And this morning, I want us to think about this issue of believing. No matter what... Christian, no matter what, no matter what the context or circumstances, we must take care to believe, to hold firm our faith. This is the warning that's given here in the passage that was read from Hebrews to those Christians who were tempted because of the pressures they were facing as Jewish believers to return to Judaism. They're warned about, about possessing an unbelieving heart. Don't allow the ostracization of your family or the rejection of your faith in Jesus Christ in the marketplace. Be very careful not to allow those things to, to give way to an unbelieving heart because following after an unbelieving heart is a disobedient choice. It's, it's, it's a strong connection made between faith and obedience here in Hebrews and elsewhere. And so in this warning passage, there's this, this great exhortation to take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, something counter to the will of God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ indeed if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Look, to be perfectly honest, we've heard too many stories in recent years. Too many stories in recent years of Christians walking away from their faith because they've lost heart. Their personal circumstances or the context in which we live have pushed them to the brink of unbelief and they've given up. I would argue that this is not the Christian way. Being discouraged, even doubting at times in our Christian walk, that happens. We're human. Life is hard. And humanly speaking, our faith is often weak. Our lack of faith, our faltering in terms of belief in God is very often completely understandable from a human perspective. My question is, is that acceptable? How do we guard against it? How do we respond to it? I believe this is worth reflecting upon. I'm empathetic, empathetic and sympathetic towards those who struggle given the context in which we find ourselves or their own personal circumstances. But for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection, we are to exhort one another and to remind one another and encourage one another to hold firm our belief, our faith, to not falter no matter what. And I think that that is worth thinking about this semester. I also think, though, being disappointed by the attitudes and actions of other Christians or Christian leaders is understandable. Being concerned about the criticism of or even the animosity of the world and the broader culture towards Christianity and what we believe is understandable. But we need to be careful as men and women of God not to allow these things to weaken our faith. Scripture is very clear in fact, it's in this letter of he this, this book of Hebrews 
Scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible's full of examples and illustrations and teachings that make this clear. He wants us to believe in Him, to trust Him, to rest in His care and provision, to stand upon His promises, and to do all of this regardless of our circumstances, our experience, or the context in which we find ourselves. This warning in Hebrews 3 concerning an unbelieving heart is to be taken seriously. We're to hold our confidence to the very end, no matter what. And there's an exhortation here that we're to exhort one another to do the same. To not lose sight of the one who is struggling in their faith, but rather go and exhort them. Hold, brother. Hold, sister. Don't let the circumstances that you're facing or the context in which we find ourselves, don't let it erode your faith in God and your confidence in Him and His promises and His Word. Don't let it cause you to falter in your following after Jesus. Hold. Hold. We should be saying that to one another. That's the exhortation here in Hebrews, that warning about that unbelieving heart. But what's interesting to me about this book of Hebrews is what it's referencing when it talks about this importance of holding firm our confidence and not faltering. Moment of testimony. All of you in the room know this by now. I'm not just the president of the university. I'm a graduate of the university. And when I was a student here, I had a class with a faculty member, a professor, on the book of Hebrews that completely turned me inside out spiritually. There's this temptation to think in an academic setting like this at a college or university, particularly one like Cairn, where you have to undertake this serious study of Scripture, that somehow that becomes an academic exercise. Let me challenge you students. You will not grow here despite your academic work, but because of it. That experience and that class on the book of Hebrews penetrated me in a powerful way, caused me to rethink my Christian life and, and, and my spiritual life in a way that was extremely profound, but it was this issue of the linkage between a faltering in my faith and unbelief and its linkage to disobedience. And here in this exhortation in Hebrews to hold fast, to be careful, the warning about the unbelieving heart is directly referencing that experience the children of Israel had at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Remember that story in the Old Testament? You know what's happening, right? The children of Israel, they're delivered from Egypt. They've experienced the hand of God in ways no one else has. The, the, the sea is parted. They're freed from the Pharaoh. The Red Sea is parted. They're, they're guided by the very person of God. He is their God and they are his people. And he's made a promise for them about the land. In fact, the promise is very clear. He says, the land is yours. In the past tense, I've already given it to you. All you have to do is enter. And when you enter, you enter my rest, which is the passage that Dean Swift read for us. When you obey me, when you believe and obey and you enter the land, you will enter my rest. You will reap where you did not sow. You will enjoy the land of milk and honey and all the fruit of the land. It will be yours. All you have to do is trust me and enter. They come to the edge of the land and they decide that they have to send spies into the land to check it out. And you know the story, right? There are 12 spies that go back, go out, go into the land, and they come back to give their report. You know the children's song? How's it go? Ten were bad and two were good. There's only one of us that remembers the song. Good, good, great. Ten were bad and two were good. 
right? The spies go out into land. They bring back the report. Ten give this report that is overwhelming. There are too many of them. They're, we're outnumbered. We're outgunned. They outsize us. There's no way we can punch that far above our weight class. That's it. It's over. There's no point to entering the land. It can't be done. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, give a different report. No, no, let's go. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they're not the bravest. They're not the most strategic. They're not, they're not, they're not saying we can go, hey, we're better than you think. We have more going for us than you. They say, no, we must go in because God's already given it to us. His promises are sure, and our faith ought not falter. But the children of Israel listened to the ten spies who said it can't be done. The circumstances are too overwhelming. The context in which we find ourselves will not yield victory. This is too risky. Better that we go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb stand out not as mighty men of valor who have kept their swords sharpened and their shields at the ready, but as two servants of God that said, no matter what, we believe God. No matter what, we believe God. And we know what happens in the passage in Hebrews and in the passage in Numbers. The children of Israel are judged accordingly. And their lack of faith, their their unwillingness to believe the promises of God and to trust this one who had brought them out of Egypt, they they are now in not just unbelief, they become disobedient. They refuse to do what they were commanded to do. And God judges them accordingly They are to wander in the wilderness. Now, while he'll provide for them in his grace and love and mercy, they do not get the benefit of that land which he promised to them. Caleb and Joshua do because they believed. In that passage of Scripture where the writer of Hebrews is warning these Jewish Christians, he shares with them this reference that they would have known quite well as Jewish believers. And what it does for them is remind them of the power of faith in Joshua and Caleb's case, and the power of unbelief in the case of the ten spies and the children of Israel who murmured and grumbled and refused to enter the land. You know, our context and circumstances have a way of influencing us. We know it's true on the positive side, right? I mean, we've heard the saying, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole, right? When you're faced with danger, everybody prays, right? Um, I've read some interesting books this fall on some really heroic acts, right? Um, And what you realize is when people are facing the gravest of situations, they, they, they tend to reach out to God. But it's also true that the circumstances and context in which we find ourselves often lead us to doubt, to fear, to unbelief. And that's the illustration that's given here in Hebrews chapter 3. The story of the people's response to the report of the 12 spies in the Old Testament is both instructive and impactful. Their faith falters because their take on what they face is not accurate. And as a result, they become disobedient and ultimately they forfeit the blessings of God. And to quote the best of the Indiana Jones movies, they chose poorly. They chose poorly. And this is what happens to us so often when we take our eyes off as this letter to these Christians reminds us later to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. They take their eyes off of Jesus and look at the circumstances through earthly, worldly, and human lenses. And it is overwhelming. This is always the case. This is always the case. 
when I look at this situation and I think about the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, they, they are behaving in a way that's entirely human. They're looking at the conditions and weighing it and saying there's no way possible. My concern for you and I in the day in which we live, when feeling has replaced thinking, that all you have to do is begin to feel a little uncertain, a little unsure, a little fearful, a little concerned, a little alienated, a little ostracized, and all of a sudden we fold like that proverbial house of cards. It's even more dangerous in our day when feelings have overtaken the part of thinking because we, we, we get swept up in the emotional reactions to the things we see happening around us. When I think about that, I think about the disciples in the boat with Jesus when the storm comes up. Right? The storm is coming up and the boat is completely swamped and they think they're going to die and they look over, they're in the boat with Jesus. Right? They, they know who they're with. They got into the boat with him, but they find themselves in that storm and their eyes are fixed upon the storm, the waves that are coming over the gunnels. They're getting swamped, they're terrified, they think they're going to die and they look over and where's Jesus? He's sleeping, sleeping. The scripture gives us a really great picture. They have to wake him up. They're terrified they're going to die. They have to wake him up and say, Lord, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus' response is what? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. When the storms of life swamp the boat and it seems irrational and counterintuitive to believe that we serve the one who commands the winds and waves, we need to recall Jesus' question to the disciples in that boat. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? This isn't a put down, but it is a forceful correction that Jesus gives the disciples. I'm right here with you. Why are you afraid? It isn't that he doesn't acknowledge that they're afraid. It isn't even that he doesn't acknowledge that their fear is understandable. His issue is, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Have faith. When we feel ourselves fearing fearing or faltering, we can echo the words of the demoniac's father who spoke to Jesus when he was terrified that that his son would not be healed. And Jesus turns to him and says, believe. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a great response. Rather than faltering and running or quitting or giving up, we rather turn and we cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's an incredibly honest and transparent response. And I would encourage us, that's the one we should echo when we feel ourselves weakening. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's an incredibly powerful picture. Because God wants us to believe, not just in him, but to believe him, to trust him. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, Hebrews says. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to have confidence in him. So it's a much better reaction to our circumstances and our context to say, Lord, help my unbelief, than to say, this is nuts, I'm out of here. I'm done with this nonsense. I'm done with what I see going on around me. I'm done being associated with Christians that make me feel embarrassed. No, help my unbelief. The writer of Hebrews also says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more in the days that you see. 
here now. The issue is we look around and rather than saying, I can't believe this guy's one of us or that people who are one of us like this guy, rather what we say is, hey, look around. There are still those who name the name of Jesus and still believe in God and still are holding to confidence in the word of God. No matter what's going on around, we're not alone. We're still here. We're still here. God understands, I think, what the children of Israel were experiencing at Kadesh Barnea. I know that he does. Jesus understands what's in the minds and hearts of the disciples when they're gripped by fear and they're facing the threat of unbelief. In fact, John testifies to it in his gospel. He has no need to be instructed for he knows what's in the heart of man. So we take great comfort in knowing that God is all-knowing. And as Dr. Harding reminded us, that God is all-present and that God is all-powerful. There's lots of things to give us comfort. He loves us and cares for us. But he also wants us to believe. And so when we're gripped by fear that threatens our confidence in Christ, when we're gripped by uncertainty by our, based upon our context and our circumstances, when we feel ourselves uh, feeling embarrassed or not sure that we should continue on, when we're, 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 we're racked with this idea that somehow I don't think I can hold, we need to remember the very words of Jesus. That synagogue official whose daughter was sick goes to Jesus and asks him to come and to heal his daughter. Jesus is going to go heal his daughter, but gets delayed by the woman with the issue of blood. And in the meantime, the daughter dies. And someone comes and says to Jairus, don't bother him anymore. Your little girl is dead. The sense of overwhelming, catastrophic grief and loss and fear and threat to that man's faith that came from the fear of the reality that his little girl had died before Jesus could get to her is met by these words from Jesus. Do not fear, only believe. Brothers and sisters, regardless of our circumstances and context, regardless of all the things that are vying for our attention, regardless of our feelings which are given to, to change with the winds and, and our anxieties and fears and apprehensions, we have to remember what Jesus said to that father. Do not fear, only believe. We have to stand stalwart in our faith like Joshua and Caleb. God will do what he said he would do. Hold to the very end. Don't allow an unbelieving heart to take root in your life because from it comes disobedience. We want to live a life pleasing to the Lord and that is impossible apart from faith in him. We must believe no matter what. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for your word, which is living and active, which divides between joint and marrow. We thank you for its impact in our lives. We pray that your spirit would be at work to use your word to accomplish your purposes in our lives individually and as a community. We pray, Father, that in these days which are so confusing and so full of fear and anxiety and dread, when we are dealing with uh, things that cause us a great deal of consternation, that we would not allow those things to sway our faith in you, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured death on a cross. We pray, Father, that you might strengthen us in our faith 
and that you would give us the grace to exhort and encourage one another to hold firm our confidence in you, and that you would give us the grace to cry out in our moments of fear and apprehension, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. We pray these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Have a great weekend.